Thank you for joining us on the Crossroads Church podcast. We are so excited to have you as part of our family. We're a community where people are welcomed home, built up, and sent out. Our prayer is for you to find meaningful relationship and belonging with both God and His people. We'd love to connect with you. Download the Crossroads Church app, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or simply send us an email at info at mycrossroads.co. We pray that as you hear this message, you encounter Jesus and all that he has in store for you. (laughs) Good morning, everybody. (laughs) Let's give it a... Man, thank thank God for this praise team. Thank you, Walter. I just want to say happy Mother's Day. And I don't just say that because it's good to say. I mean, thank you. Ladies, thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. You make such a difference. I was just thinking about my own mom and just what she poured into my life. And she was the most courageous person I ever met. And, and you have no idea the difference you're making in, uh, in lives. And sometimes you may get discouraged. Sometimes you may get frustrated. But you are making an eternal difference in the lives of, of, of your children. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Happy Mother's Day. to welcome those who are watching online right now around the country and around the world. Uh, thank you for, for being part of, uh, of our Crossroads family. You know, I, I was thinking, can you imagine if you were uh, stuck on a roller coaster? Uh, like, like somebody, some people were in China. Now, I've been stuck on a roller coaster like two or three times when it was going up the first hill and, and something caught and, and they had to, had to bring us back down and just hoping that there were some brakes on so we didn't go crashing in there. But, but this is how those people were stuck. Look at this. <laughs> there we go. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being stuck upside down, not for just a couple minutes, but for over 30 minutes? Uh, I don't know how you say I'm about to puke in Mandarin, but that's probably what was said a lot of times there. And, and thankfully, they were rescued. Six people did end up going to the hospital. But here's the thing. All of us, all of us know what it feels like to be stuck in our own way from time to time. And I bet there's some area in your life right now where you feel stuck. Here's just some of the things that jotted down. It could be you're working hard, but you're not making any progress. It could be because the same fears, the same doubts, the same worries, the same discouragement, the same struggle, the same strongholds that you've had for years or decades are still what you wake up and deal with every, every day. It could be you're still single. You're still drowning in debt. You're still fighting with your spouse or your kids or your parents. You're still in a dead-end job and a dead-end career. You're still struggling with the same illness. You can't seem to beat a habit or an addiction or it feels like life is in a, in a rut or a holding pattern. If that's you in any way or other things that you feel stuck in, we're going to take a look at a man today who was truly stuck. For 38 years, this man was stuck in, in, in God, Jesus Christ, set him free. So we're in a study on miracles, and we're going to be looking at, at a man from John chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Sometime later... Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. That means house of mercy, and which which is surrounded by five 
covered colonnades. Now, this pool was like huge. I mean, I mean, major, major, big time huge. The footprint of it was basically the size of a football field with the end zones and with the sidelines. 393 feet long, 164 feet wide, and get this, 49 feet deep. How about that for a pool? I mean, you could play, you could play Marco Polo and scuba gear, man, with, this, uh, with that thing. That's how deep it, uh, it was. And it said, there's a number of disabled people used to lie there, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Can you imagine how horrible this scene was? Just this mass of hurting humanity all gathered together in one place. And let me ask you, why were they there? Why were they in this one place? They were there because they were hoping when the water was stirred, they would be the first one in the, in the pool. Now, in the, the New International Version, which we're reading in, that skips from, chap, from verse 3 to verse 5. There is no verse 4, because this verse is not in the earlier manuscripts. It's in the later manuscripts, not, not in the earlier ones. And this is what verse 4 says in those manuscripts. It says, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the water. The first one in the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured from whatever disease they had. So they're gathering around this pool, hoping that when the water is stirred by an angel, they are the first one in, because they, if, they, if they are winner, winner, chicken dinner, right? They are the ones who get, who get set free. And so going on, it says, one who had been an invalid had been there for 38 years. That is so easy for us just to read and go on in it. 38 years. Think about that. In those days, too, I mean, it's, that would be hard enough today, but in those days, man, I mean, there was no disability payments that they, that they would receive from the, from the government. There was, no, there, there was nothing to, to keep the pain away if they were in pain. I mean, there weren't even baby aspirins in those days. There wasn't even Flintstone vitamins in those days, if you can imagine. Nothing to take away the pain. And the average lifespan was only 40 years. And that's, counting, uh, that's, that's not counting everything. That's if you make it through the childhood diseases. 22 years was the average lifespan counting everything so this man was not only past his peak he was in his latter days and he'd spent his whole life basically being in uh, infirm and it said they called him an invalid here in the in the scriptures and a lot of times in the bible they talk about they they talk about nameless people and they call them by either their sickness or by their sin an example of that would be the woman with the issue of blood the man with the withered hand the man born blind, the woman caught in the act of adultery. But here's the thing I want you to know. Don't let what's wrong with you define you. I want to say that again. Don't let what is wrong with you define you. Your sickness, whatever it is, does not define you, okay? Your sin does not define you. Your problem, your addiction does not define you. You know, there was one time when my, my daughter, one daughter, took something that didn't belong to her from another daughter and i know that stuns you that that preacher's kids actually sometimes act like normal kids right that they go through the exact same things so but i want you to know what i did not do to my daughter i did now no longer define her by what she did i did not say thief okay come here thief thief come on thief 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 i didn't call her that ever once in fact what i did is i set her down and said this is not who you are. 
This is not who you are. This is who you are. And I just told her some of the things that I want you to hear. So sometimes Satan loves to label you. He loves to put a name on you. He loves to define you by your problem. He loves to define you by your sickness. But let me say what God looks at you. If you you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you are, according to the word of God, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's precious son or, or daughter. You are an you're an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. You are more than a conqueror. That's who you are in God's in God's sight. And you know, this world loves to, to label us, doesn't it? We have a world that is epidemic in labels and, and names and calling people things. I mean, there was a time, it seems like just a few years ago, when, when if you had a difference with somebody, a different opinion, a different whatever it is, that you'd talk about it. You'd talk it out. Sometimes you'd passionately talk about it. And then you'd go have a Coke with that person. And you've learned a little bit from them. They've little, learned a little bit from you. But it seems like nowadays, all you have to do, if you have a difference with somebody, you just label them a name. And that means you don't even have to hear what they have to say. You don't have to hear who they are and how they've lived and their experience. All you do is just call that, and you don't even have to, you don't even have to, to treat them like a human being as long as you label something and somebody. But you got, don't ever let Satan label you. Let God name you as what he's called you. Amen? And uh, in, in the Gospels, Jesus asks 183 different questions. All of them, God can say more in a question than we can say in an answer. And someday I'd love to do a series just on questions God asks in his, in his word. But here is one of the wildest ones. Here's one of the ones that go, whoa, are you kidding me? And here's the question. And, and it says this. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in that condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? What? Do you want to get well? What kind of question is that to ask an invalid, right? That could be extremely offensive. But if it comes from Jesus' mouth, you know it's the perfect question. Because you know, just like I do, that there are people who do not want to get well, right? You've met them, I've met them. There are are people who are, are, are drug addicts that do not want to get well. I spent some time with, with somebody this week that their, their child, their beloved child, has a choice right now to either now get, get free from their addiction or, or keep going back to what they did, which has ruined their life, which has ruined the life of all the people around them. And to this point, they have chosen not to get well. You and I have met people on welfare that they don't want to work. They don't want to get out of the system. They don't want to do that. They, they, they don't want to, to get well. And I asked somebody, a, a beloved uh, fam, you know, person in the, in the Crossroads family, her name is Teresa. She's an amazing counselor. And I asked her this question, why do people not want to get well? Why do some people insist on staying in where they, they are? And she gave three, I thought, great answers to that. She said, first, hope deferred Though many years, uh, through many years of illness, with, uh, with, uh, sorry, with no hope for healing, can cause people to be fearful to hope again. So in an attempt to avoid the pain of disappointment, they would rather just stay in their current situation, no matter how bad it is. That's number one. Number two is this. Once healed and set free, the individual will be expected to take responsibility now for their, for their life. Often people are more afraid of success than failure. Isn't that true? There are some people that truly are more afraid of success 
than they are of a failure. They have invested their energy into getting needs met instead of stepping up and, uh, and owning responsibility. And number three, I think the biggest issue is that being sick is familiar and being full, whole, and healthy is unfamiliar. And they would rather stay in a horrible familiar than be free in something unfamiliar. I want to read that again. They would rather stay in a horrible familiar than get free in something unfamiliar. Now notice two things about Jesus' question. First of all, he did not ask if the person want, wished to get well. He said, do you want to get well? What is the difference between wishing and wanting? Wishing is just you take the coin and you flip it in the fountain, right? And you wish. And you wish for something to change. You wish for something to happen. You wish. And, and you do nothing. You walk away at that moment and you do nothing about it. But if you want something to happen, you mix something with the desire. There is, there is dedication. There is, there is, there is discipline. There's those things that it, it's not just the desire. There are things that go with that desire that you go more than a wish. You actually do something to make that happen. And that's something that's true in this, in this gospel over and over that we, that we read about is that, that a lot of times in order for heaven to do something, you need to take a first step. You need to do something as, uh, as well. And there was a, a gathering of, of some of the most elite medical people in our in our nation in november of 2004 and here's what happened they, you had the some of the most some of the most renowned doctors some of the most renowned surgeons some of the most renowned research people and they got together to say how can we you know help with this health crisis how can we help it what is wrong with our nation that our nation is so sick and the good news is is they found out that that, that there's that really it's it's most diseases most things most of the health problems in our nation can be can be stopped but the problem is that most people don't want to do what it takes in order for that to be stopped they don't want to change their lifestyle in any way and they said there's four things that are causing the problem a lot of the problems not all of the problems but a lot of the problems that we need to stop and one thing we need to start and the problem is, according to them, we eat too much, we smoke too much, we drink too much, and we're too stressed out. And the thing we need to start doing is to exercise more. And they said what they found out is, even though this a lot and, and most of the health problems in our nation is avoidable, people do not, they wish that they don't have that, but they don't want to do the things to make it uh, avoidable. A man by the name of Edward Miller is the 13th dean of John Hopkins University School of Medicine. And, and he found out something that, that so much, uh, there's a half a million uh, coronary bypasses that take place in our nation every year. But he found out after two years of study, they found out this, that even though that's a temporary fix, that what needs to happen is there needs to be a lifestyle change. 90% of the people never did that lifestyle change. And they basically said this. He said that, that people wish to live, but they don't want to do the things to make them live. They also, and they said this, how about this? That people would rather die than change. People wish to do one thing, but they don't want to, to do it. And there's, you can't make somebody do something they don't want to do, can you? 
If they don't want it in their heart, you can't make them do that. An example of this would be the, the thieves on the cross. The thief on the cross, first of all, you've got the, the one guy that says, I need to change. I, I, don't just, I don't just have that fantasy. I want to change. Jesus, can you help me? Jesus, I want to be different. Jesus, I want to be healed. I want to be set free. And Jesus set him free. And on the other side of him is the other thief, and he doesn't, he doesn't take that. He could do the exact same thing that this person did over here. He doesn't want to change. In fact, he curses the very person that can do something about it. Six feet away on either side, one wants to change and is changed and transformed, and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. The other dies a Christless eternity because they don't want to do anything to make that, to make that difference. You know, I just felt something here, that I believe there's somebody here right now, and, and, and I believe that hell wants, that God wants hell to lose another one right now. I have to say this, that there's somebody here that you, that you want to receive, you need to receive Jesus right now as your Lord and Savior. You may be here, somebody may have invited you, maybe you're watching online, but right now your heart is percolating, maybe it's just beating real fast. And just this, say these words out loud, dear Jesus, and from your heart, God, I give my life to you. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to live forever with you. Take my life. God, I say that you are my Lord, you are my Savior. I give you my life, and I receive your eternal life. If you did that, just what I talked about before, you are now, you are now a child of the living God. But I just felt like there's somebody that needed to hear that right now. And I believe in all my heart that hell has lost another one right now. And Jesus didn't just ask the man if he wanted to feel better. He said, do you want to be better? Do you, want to, do you want to get well? And what's the difference? Say you had a really bad, horrible disease, okay? Would you want to just feel better? Would you want them just to give you something that made you feel better, that, that, that stopped some of, the, the, you know, some of the, the feelings of that and, and some of the pain? Or would you want to get well? Would you want that person to work for you to get, to get well? And see, a lot of times people just come to church and they just want to, they just want to feel better. They just want to, to be comforted. And thank God, thank God, thank God we serve a God who loves to comfort. In fact, one of the words for, for the Holy Spirit is the comforter. Thank God he comforts us. But there's so many times that God wants to take us beyond comfort and just get us well, where we get well, where we go belong, just, that we don't just come to church, we don't just come to, the, to, the, to faith or anything to say, God, I just want to feel better, that God wants to, to get us better. You know, there's so many people that, that they, if you're in a sin, you just want to feel comfortable in that sin. But God, the, Jesus never came to, to just make you feel comfortable in sin. Don't miss this. He did not come to polish your chains. He came to open the prison doors and make the, make the, the, the things come off, the chains come off. That's why God came. That's why Jesus doesn't want you to just feel better in whatever problem you are, in sickness or sin or addiction. He wants to set you free from those things and uh jesus asked this man point blank do you want to get better i'd say yes or no question this is not a hard question it has one answer yes or no i want to get better or no i don't but he gives this guy gives an excuse in fact we'll read almost every time he opens his mouth he gives an excuse he tells why he can't why something why the problem is and listen to this he said sir the invalid replied 
I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes on ahead of me. Really, no one? No one. 38 years, no one. No way that you could get in there, never worked in that. You've got an excuse for everything. You've got a flimsy excuse for everything. And that's the thing. The thing that was setting him free, I mean, holding him in bondage for 38 years was a flimsy excuse. Can, you, can I be real? Can we be real? Because I think that so many people don't come to God because of a flimsy excuse. Or they, they never get serious about God and they have a flimsy excuse. And the difference between where they want to be and where they are is just a whole lot of flimsy excuses. And let's talk about just some of those. The people say, you know, we know that we should get the word of God in us. And the reason some people don't is a flimsy excuse. We know that we should be spending time in prayer with God, having that relationship, and a lot of people just do not do it because of a flimsy excuse. There are people who don't come to church, that don't get involved in the things, that don't have a ministry, don't get involved in ministry, and all it is is flimsy excuses. And we can go a whole life with flimsy excuses, or we can go to a whole life getting better and jump in the pool. Another thing is, um, that one time that when I was in, in seminary that we had a class and in this class there was kind of a class of small groups and we were asked to share about a tragedy that had happened sometime in our life and, and I'm thinking about two or three that I could share that really things that had gone on that were really tough that that t- to that time in my life and I'm thinking about which one to share and two or three guys said you know I've never had a tragedy happen I've never had something really bad happen in my life and, the, you know, and my friend over here, he goes, my whole life's been a tragedy. And it really had. This guy had been through so much, and it was so wild that nobody, that these people had not even had a tragedy. So if that's you, if you've lived this, you know, just this, this untouchable life, but man, praise God, I'm happy for you, truly happy for you. I can't relate to you, but I'm happy for you. But for the rest of us that are in this other two things, that, that first of all, you know, that some of you have, have you've gotten through to this point you know and praise God you've had you've had your share of difficulty you've had your share of heartbreak you've had your share of struggle you've had your share of sickness you've had your share of what whatever so you can so you've had that and other people I don't know how you've made it to this point I really don't there's people I've heard their story you should get a t-shirt that said I survived my childhood or a t-shirt that says, I survived the last five years of my life. I survived what's, what's happening in my life right now. I'm surviving. And, and man, that's, that's incredible. But here's the thing, too, is eventually, don't get me wrong, there are seasons in life that just making it are incredible. That just making it, you should get a trophy for just, just every day living another day. But for so many of us, is it time that we stop being a victim and we start being a victor? Some people stay in this victim mode and God wants you to be a victor. And one of the heroes of my life, you're about to hear right now, her name is Donna Lovell and, and she, does, she does not have arms. She has prosthetic arms, but not arms. And the very first time I met her was before we were even a church. She was, she was making phone calls. We were do, making 10,000 phone calls seeing if people were, in, were interested in coming being part of a church that we were starting. And I turned around the corner and I, I saw her. And here's the first time I saw her. She had one foot with a phone in it with her toes. And the other foot, she was dialing the number with her toes. The very first words out of my mouth to her were, you are my hero. 
I mean, I've never seen anything like, like that. And then come to find out that, you know, she was one of the leaders of our, uh, in our, our ministry, one of the ministries we had. She was the secretary, and, her, and, her, and she took notes with her feet. And the, the sad thing is for me is she had better foot riding than I had handwriting. She was incredible. And, and she can drive with her feet. This is the one that blew me away. She puts in contacts with her feet. Can you imagine this? This is a person that doesn't even know the word victim. All she's been is Victor, and here's her story. My name is Donna, and my favorite scripture passage is Isaiah 41.10. I grew up in Stony Point, North Carolina, which is a very small town on the other side of Statesville, and um, very loving environment, um, godly parents, and spent a lot of time with grandparents who were very godly and big in the church, um, very active in the church. Right around when I was five years old and getting ready to go to school, um, someone had um, suggested that my parents have me tested um, by a psychologist. So they took me to a psychologist and at five years old, the results told my parents that um, I was mentally challenged and that they should put me in a special school and that I would never be accepted by my peers. So that was just a blow to my mother and father. And so after that, they decided, yeah, not gonna happen. And so, but I remember my mother taking me to this special school with this special class that had these special people in it. And um, she asked me at the age of five, you know, is this where you wanna go, is this? And I'm like, no, not really. And so I was, um, she sent me to just public school, just like everyone else. Never once did anybody shun me because I had a disability. Um, just the teachers were very caring and helpful. Um, throughout the early elementary years, they tried to get me to not use my feet, to use my prosthesis as much as possible. Um, and so that was a challenge because it was just so much easier to use my feet. But, you know, probably about the fifth grade, they just gave up. It's like, yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> She's going to use those feet. That's why God gave them to her. That's why he allowed her to be able to use her feet. My view of God is that he was very loving and very, um, he was going to take care of you. Um, and that was instilled in me by my grandparents. My grandparents were the biggest Christian influence in my life. Then after high school, I met my future husband and we've been together for 33 years, well, 40 years, including you know, be, uh, dating and all. So, and he is, he was definitely sent to me by God. You know, all through school, you know, teachers were always encouraging, friends were always encouraging, um, never was bullied because, like I said, I was kind of sassy and wasn't going to be bullied, and it worked out. Um, you know, I've just, you know, God has always put the right people in my path and in my life, you know, with family and friends, and it's, uh, you know, it hasn't always been easy, but God's there to give you the strength to do whatever you need to do.
Um, back in 2016, I was diagnosed with stage three rectal cancer and um, just really God saw me through that. He was faithful and um, just, and, and that's when Isaiah 41.10 really came into play and I thought about it every day, read it every day. Um, and, you know, did the chemo and the radiation, never missed work, never, <laughs> I mean, God is so good to me, it's just unbelievable. And um, it'll be, next year, I'll be five years um, with uh, cancer-free, so, but, you know, that's been a big part of my life. It really, at the time, um, you know, there were some down days, but I, I just felt that God was in control and, you know, He would move me yet again in the right direction and pass this <laughs> this horrible thing. Um, but He, again, He's faithful. And he always has been. And He always will be. The things that um, I was always told or, or people tried to um, say I couldn't do, you know, I went to public school, I got my driver's license, I um, graduated high school, I graduated college, I graduated with my master's degree. Um, take that, psychologist. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, got married, um, had a wonderful career for 30 years with the state of North Carolina, currently working as a contract counselor um, working with veterans, which has been such a blessing, and just God just kind of dropped that in my lap. Um, just so many things that you know have just been such a blessing in my life, and has made me who I am today. It's just um, pretty miraculous if you think about it. You know, the older I get, the more I see how God has always been there in my life and has provided and has been faithful. I just want people to know just because things may look overwhelming or, um, you know, not attainable, that that is so not true, that God's going to bring you through everything. If you trust Him and you lean on Him, it's... Uh, Nothing's insurmountable. Amen. You can see why she's one of my heroes. Uh, you know, it's, it's time that we sometimes realize that we can either spend our life being a victim or we can spend our life being a, a, a victor, and we have, that, we have that choice. No matter what our circumstances are, that's our choice. And, you know, Jesus um, ignored the guy's excuse, and he told him to do three things. First of all, he said, get up. Get up. I don't know what that means to you. Get up. I don't mean, you know, jump and run it <laughs> right now. But, I mean, get up. What does that mean to you? Where God is saying, you know, right, right now, you, you can't just stay in the, in the rut. What does it mean for you to, to get up? Because do something is what he's saying. Because a lot of times, the people there were waiting God, for God to come down, and God, Jesus says, for, for him to, to get up. And then he said, take up your mat. You know, his mat was this six-by-two-foot world that he had, and that was his security blanket. And Jesus said, pick it up, pick it up. 
Don't just stay with that security blanket. I've got some new things for you. And then he said this. He said, start walking. And I love that start walking because when you first walk, it's, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? You fall a lot. You, you're unstable. And, and sometimes when you start out in a new world, when you start out in a, in a new beginning, that sometimes it can be un, unstable, it can be unsettling. And sometimes you fall flat on your face and sometimes going to where God wants you to, to be, it means, it means taking steps. And you know, I used to have a, uh, or I have a friend that has a tattoo that says, it says, a, a long walk in the, same, in the same direction. And really, isn't that what discipleship is? Isn't that what following Jesus is? One faithful walk in the same direction. And sometimes you fall, and sometimes you blow it, and sometimes you're not the, the person you need to be, but you get up and you keep, and you keep walking. And I want to say this to, to moms. You guys are incredible. You all keep, that, that, that you, have, you have, have loved time and time and time and time again. You've shown comfort time and time and time and time again. You've given advice. You've kept walking. You've kept walking even though sometimes you weren't perfect as a mom. You haven't been. Nobody is because you're human. But you get back up and you keep loving and you keep, and you keep directing and you keep counseling and you keep whatever it is that you do as, as, a, as a mom there. You keep doing it. And, and, and so whatever it means to you, what does it mean? Pick up your Pick up your, your mat. What does it mean to get up? What does it mean to keep walking to, to you or to start walking? And the other thing is, is this, that he says this. The day on which this took place, when all this was taking place, was on the Sabbath. Now, anytime you read that in the Gospels, that's like a dun, 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 da, da. That's bad, you know, because that's ominous music because that means the Pharisees are now going to give Jesus a hard time because he does things even on the Sabbath and he healed even on the Sabbath. And it says, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law, not God's law, their own law, 600 laws that they have made to the Sabbath, forbids you to carry your mat. Talk about missing the forest for the trees. This guy that has been an invalid for 38 years, he's standing healed in front of him, and they're whipping out their calendar trying to make sure it's the right, it's the right day. And he says, but he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And again, he gives an excuse. He said, well, you know, the guy that did that, so it's not my fault, not my fault, his fault. He's the one that told me to do this, so I have nothing to do with this. So they asked him, who is the fellow who told you to pick, up, pick it up and walk? Oh, my question would have been, who healed you, right? Who healed you, man? I want to follow him. I want to do some, I want to be with that guy. But instead, again, they're asking, who told you to pick up the thing? They're, they're nitpicking this point instead of seeing all that God is doing. The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was, that was there. And man, I don't like this guy. I mean, he didn't even take time to find out Jesus' name. He never took time to thank Jesus. He had been healed from 38 years of sickness and never knew even who Jesus was or never, ever thanked him. And something that, uh, that is uh, amazing to me is I've, I've seen people set free so many times in this church and in my life, in youth groups and in everything. I've seen people transformed. I've seen people who had addictions that, that got set free and now what they're doing their whole life is, is a ministry to other people, a ministry to, to other people who are in that, that situation. 
I've seen people who, you know, who had a, just that have changed. We talked about one person a few weeks ago. We saw a testimony of he was dead and is now alive, and he spent the rest of the time pressing into God in such a powerful, powerful way. But on the other hand, here's what I've seen. I remember there's one lady in, our fir- in my first church. She was the daughter of, of one of the leaders in our church, and, and I'd invite her to come, and she'd, you know, she'd always come up with a flimsy excuse. And we'd see her at Christmas, and we'd see her at Easter. But then she developed cancer, and suddenly we're seeing her every week. I mean, she is so faithful to everything. She is pressing into God like you wouldn't believe. And then, then we prayed for her, and before she even had any, anything, she is healed. I mean, one moment she has it, one moment she doesn't. And, and ask me whether I ever saw her again after that. She took her healing and said, thanks God, bye, bye. See you again if something ever happens to me. And that's not what God ever wanted in, uh, in life. There's something that, something that really bugs me is this. This guy reminds me of somebody. He reminds me of somebody a lot. It's the person that I see when I look in the mirror. He reminds me of me far too often because I think about all the times God has healed me of different things in my life and a lot of those I never thanked him for and there's something that there's blessings that happen to me every day of my life every day I have shelter every day I have food I have friends I have an incredible wife I have all these things then sometimes I forget to thank him for the blessings that I see every single day of my of my life and this man is challenging me This man is challenging me to be not like him, to thank God for the little things, to thank God for the big things, to be a man of gratitude, to know Jesus' name, and to thank him for what what he's done. And it says this, later Jesus found him, and the fact that Jesus found him means that Jesus was looking for him, and if you're lost, Jesus is looking for you right now. At the temple and said to him, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Whoa. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. I don't like this guy. I don't like this guy because you know what he just did? He just narked on Jesus. These guys are looking for Jesus to give him a hard time to, 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 you know, to, to just, again, give him a hard time. And so what does he do? He says, there he is. There's Jesus right here. There he is. He narks on him. Instead of being thankful and even protecting Jesus, he goes and he says, he's the, he's the other Judas in the Bible of betraying Jesus. And you know, here's the thing. We don't know what happened to this guy. He was healed. And then he walks off the pages of, of history. And he, I don't know if he's up to his old tricks. I don't know if he's still begging. I don't know if whatever is, if he left the pool or if he's, but Jesus said, you know, stop sinning or something worse is gonna happen to you. And he's saying, Get a, new, get a new life. Here's the question that I have for you. Do, you. do you want to, do you wish for a new beginning with God or do you want a new beginning? Do you wish to be the person God wants you to be or do you want that? Do you, do you, want, do you, do you want to get well or do you want to, get, to feel comfortable or do you want to get well? Which one is it? What does it mean for you to get up, to take up your mat and to and to to start walking because here's what i know some of you are really tired some of you are worn out some of you have been battered for so long some of you are struggling with the same thing for so long and god just says keep on walking keep on walking keep on walking the altar is open as we talk about god's incredible amazing grace come and there's going to be people here to pray for you if you just want to come and thank god for what you have maybe god maybe you are so worn out and god is saying to you right now keep walking 
keep walking, keep walking. Maybe God is saying, lay down your mat and start walking. What is God saying to you today? In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the Crossroads Podcast. Check back with us weekly to hear more messages. We hope you have a blessed day.